The scriptures for today's sermon will come from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, Psalm 126 and John, first chapter, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 and verses 19 through 8, 28. Psalm 126. When the Lord changed Zion's circumstances for the better, it was like we had been dreaming. Our mouths were suddenly filled with laughter. Our tongues were filled with joyful shouts. It was even said at that time among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us and we are overjoyed. Lord, change our circumstances for the better, like dry streams in the desert waste. Let those who plant with tears reap, with, reap the harvest with joyful shouts. Let those who go out crying and carrying their seed come home with joyful shouts, carrying bales of grain. And now, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 and 19 through 28. A man named John was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him everyone would believe in the light. He himself wasn't the light, but his mission was to testify concerning the light. This is John's testimony when the Jewish leader in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? John confessed. He didn't deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, who are you? Are you Elijah? John said, I am not. Are you the prophet? John answered, no. They asked, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? I am the voice crying out in the wilderness, make the Lord's path straight, just as the prophet Isaiah said. Those sent by the Pharisees asked, why do you baptize if you aren't the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered, I baptize with water. Someone greater stands among you whom you don't recognize. He comes after me, but I'm not worthy to untie his sandal straps. This encounter took place across the Jordan in Bethany, where John was baptizing. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Barbara, for reading. Uh, well, uh, happy Advent. <laughs> Not sure how to respond with that one yet, right? <laughs> because traditionally here in the church, everything around us is going Christmas, 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 Christmas. And the church says, wait, wait, not yet, not yet. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> so, uh, but this Sunday, though, is a time that we really kind of turn that attention to say, wait, wait, let's forget holding and let's celebrate. Uh, traditionally in the church, the third Sunday of Advent is known by a Latin term meaning Gaudette. Um, Gaudet Sunday, which literally translated means rejoice. Uh, it's taken from Philippians 4, which means rejoice in the Lord always. And we get the nice pink candle. So finally, away from the purple and into pink. And this is as close to pink as I had for a clergy shirt. So I, I wish they made them, but uh, it's hard to find. <laughs> so, um, uh, so let's do this. Uh, one of the things we've been doing this Advent is singing our way through Advent with, uh, with lots of songs. Uh, and looking to the Psalms, the way that the Hebrew people and still us today use our collective voices to sing towards celebration. And uh, the Psalm today, 126, is found in a group of Psalms called Ascent, or Psalms of Degrees, as they are meant to be traveling songs of celebration, as they travel from not yet, uh, but yet, uh, what is to be. And so as we do that, not yet, it's not Christmas yet, but all of our hopes, our joys, our expectations jumbled all together with everything else of this season, 
let's to begin the celebration. Let's, uh, let's bring our hearts and minds to pray as we hear the words. So let us pray. Father, as your people of old sang the psalms and sang the words of joy to the things that you have done, are doing, and will be doing, both now and always, bring our hearts, our minds, our very being close to you that we may bring all that we are, rejoicing in heart, mind, strength, and soul. This we ask and lift up in your most holy name. Amen. Now, for those who've been here through this series, you may have noticed a a slight theme that we didn't plan. Um, Bruce has had a theme of tackiness uh, through the season, starting out with a lot of tacky sweaters that keep coming out. I I see a couple, not all, but uh, uh, we won't call you out. (laughs) Uh, But also then in the midst of the tacky sweaters, you also have these tacky prayers that get mixed into it. But also with with those tacky prayers, it makes it authentic. It makes it real. And and I don't know about you, but this season that's called, you know, Christmas season or holidays, it's a little bit tacky. Uh, how, what other holidays can be combined in which you're juggling work, juggling extra social parties, juggling shopping for everyone under the sun, wrapping presents, trying to stay in budget, as if there is one at times, right? Um, at the same time, you're reflecting back on Christmas that has been or Christmas that won't be, uh, intermixed with less sleep and overeating, which means there's more stress and more fights, and we call that a holiday, <laughs> right? That's pretty tacky. (laughs) So uh, I don't know about you, but for me, what gets me in the mood for the season are tacky songs. Songs that we all know. Some are overplayed on the radio, right? Grandma got run over by a... Right? All I want for Christmas is my two... Good. Uh, You're a mean one, Mr. Ah, good. You've heard these. Yeah. Um, are the 12 days of Christmas, and you can out the door with all the ones from the redneck version, the Canadian version, the, yeah, uh, there's the, right, <laughs> and it goes on and on. Each year I hear a new different translation of the 12 days, uh, the Chipmunk song, the many others. Uh, I have a new favorite one. Uh, I'll tease you with it. You know, you'll have to wait. I'm going to play it. It's our introit for this week's Open Door. So uh, you can ask somebody that, that went or catch it uh, online on our Facebook page uh, for later. So a uh, little tease there. So we're going to look at the, this, um, you know, all the way those songs uh, create this sense of joy and laughter in the midst of sometimes, you know, we realize this isn't um, a holly jolly Christmas. There isn't joy always through this season. Uh, it can be a season that breaks us up, and we're not sure, we're unexpected. And the same thing for the people of Israel when they first began crafting this psalm. Um, they were, we have notions from those who study this that this song began crafting, being crafted during their time in exile. So as the Babylonians, the Assyrians have drugged them off to a foreign land, And when they're in that foreign land, they echo the Psalm of 137 that says uh, so powerfully, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our hearts. Our captors asked for songs, our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. 
And how could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And that's where they began crafting a song of joy. It seems odd. Uh, we have evidence that this psalm was finished when they said you could go back. And yet when we know that people tell us we can go back home, we realize that our hearts jump with joy, but also our hearts ache because whatever we get to isn't exactly the same as it was before. And we can think of periods of time in our own exile, times that feel like an exile in our own country. 9-11, right? For weeks, months, even the several first few anniversaries, you felt like an exile because things are not the same as it was before. During times of war and conflict, you know, whole towns in our country that have lost several men and women who have served faithfully, uh, but yet loss. Um, exiles in which we have experienced several hurricanes. Uh, you know, we're several years out, but several of our bordering brothers and sister states have just experienced this past year. California and the fires that are going on right now in Puerto Rico are still in the midst of their own exile. How will that look like on the other end? And how can we find joy? So if you would, let me let me borrow a little bit from John, because John shows us a little bit of how to find that joy. Uh, you heard in the Gospel of John that encounter with the one crazy one in the wilderness, right? Um, and they play this game with him, like, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Who are you? What are you up to? What's going on? And he plays none of their games. He simply says this, I am the one pointing the way. I am not the way. I am not the stopping off point. This is not the place. In fact, it's a lot of preachers kind of preach all the time. You know, when you come to Sunday school or you come to church, this is not the stopping off point. <laughs> this is just to get energized for the journey along the way. And John reminds them, look, there's one who is coming that's greater than me. That's the one that we need to turn our attention to. And so if you will, allow me to use 126 through John to say, hey, this is the way that we may look at what God has done, is doing, and is calling us to do, both now and always. Um, so follow me along if you'd like to, if you'd like to take out your Bibles or your phones or just listen closely. The very first verse begins like this, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. And we know what restoration is like, right? Restoration is that... Um, Restoration is the news that the test comes back negative. Respiration can be a new birth or a new job or a new location. Restoration can be a moment of relief. Uh, restoration can be that feeling that there's new life after so much struggle of new possibilities, which is the way this first verse ends. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream." Those who dream. And you know what dreams do? Dreams give us visions and possibilities. Even when we think something is impossible, suddenly you think, well, you know what? What about the idea that we can <laughs> zoom along this horseledge carriage at 85 miles an hour and go to New Orleans and back in just a few hours, right? Uh, this amazing possibilities of what's next, of what's coming, of what is to be. 
And the people of Israel would have heard of those possibilities of God who has moved among them in times of past. In the very beginning, God began creating and he gifting others with this vision of what is possible, calling his faithful servant Abraham and Moses and David and Elijah and Isaiah and own and own and own. Calling people of the New Testament. The disciples were gathered together and sent forth. Paul and his communities and Timothy. The many who have come before us to preach the good news. Um, the many who long ago set this strange possibility of, you know what? Let's get together, the Hattiesburg District and the United Methodist Church, and have this crazy notion of planning a church on the very edge of Hattiesburg. Because we don't know if it'll grow past there. <laughs> and we're still here today, right? Um, you know, crazy notions of wonder what are the possibilities if we then ask this church of pastors who came along time and time again calling us to be faithful in missions, not just out there, but right here. You know, missions of, you know, from that we have gone to places like Honduras and Costa Rica and Navajo and Woodley and Hattiesburg High and even right now to the field house. Missions that called us to sponsor refugee family, uh, that called us to, to sponsor children at the children's home in Jackson. So much so that when you remember all of these things that are happening, it brings us to the second verse that says, um, that says May those, uh, then our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read this, okay, our tongues are filled with laughter, and this was written during the time of exile? You're in la-la land, right? Um, but as I read through this psalm again and again and again and let it take hold of these, I realized these are not people that are delusional. No. These are people who have known the heartache and the struggle, but there's also people who have known what comes on the other side. It's that, it's that message that, we so, that I so yearn when I meet with uh, young people and talk to them about the issue of suicide. You know, um, you know the harsh reality is our, our, our you know, strongest right now percentage is in young girls uh, and middle-aged men. And, so, and I wish I could tell each of those groups, look, hold on, hold on. I know it's hard now, but there is something on the other side. There are moments in which there will begin to begin, our mouths will be filled with laughter. That's why the church needs to gather and sing the songs, songs of old and new songs that have been written, songs like, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, Amazing Grace and Rock of Ages, songs that we gather every Christmas season and hear again, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Oh, look, yep, yeah, come on, you got to help me out here. So, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore yeah. Uh, silent night, holy. Yeah. Um, oh, little town of. Yeah. Little drummer. Yeah. Uh, shameless plug there for all percussions everywhere. So. <laughs> uh, 
So there, this, uh, those songs in which gather us up that we may dance even. And we need those who remind us that the song should leave us to move and sing and dance. Uh, you know, one of my favorite times is to peek over there at Ramsey who's giving us a little show. <laughs> she dances during some of the songs there. You know, to lead us to moments that we may rejoice as we remember Emmanuel that God is with us. So much so that we can shout with verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. Because God hasn't just done, God is doing things right here in the present. That we can acknowledge no matter what, that if the present is pleasant, difficult, or nearly impossible, we can recognize that we are grateful. That we are grateful for so many different things. Um, Throughout my week this week, um, I had a chance to be literally all over Hattiesburg, from past Oak Grove to downtown uh, to places where I worked, to places where I was just in line at the supermarket. And every place I went this week, I either ran into somebody from Parkway Heights or somebody that was talking about Parkway Heights. Someone who mentioned, look, uh, hey, are you going by the church? We've got something to to take for the children's home that needs to be packaged up. We've got something that's heading off to Woodley. I've got it in car. Um, Or I just went by Woodley. Or somebody from Hattiesburg High saying, you know what? Hattiesburg fed us before the football game. It was one of the band members I was listening to on the line for county, County Market, just listening in. There's so many things to be grateful for. We just listen to the way that God is moving here and now. Um, I even had a a chance, uh, even briefly as I visited with some members that uh, used to be worshipped with us but now live elsewhere. And and In fact, Paul and and Sayward were talking, and even as we were leaving, hey, we've got something for Edward Street. I was like, whoa. (laughs) And so it's still the connection is live and through there to recognize all the ways that God is doing things for us, so much so that when people see that, people talk. The psalm echoes out that the nations are the ones who are saying, hey, look at them, of what God is doing for them, through them, which means that God is extending to them as well. The fourth verse begins, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. So... Um, and just to, I know that doesn't resonate with us. We're, we just hear that word, so we're like, what? Watercourses, Negev? Mm. Picture this. Negev is a desert. It's a parched, dry land. You know, uh, it's located uh, right next to the Dead Sea for, for our uh, geography buffs. Uh, it's a place in which you, you can imagine that's uh, desolate. And they're asking for the fortunes to be restored there. Why there? Um, well, it could be because there's, there's rumors, there's legends at this time. The same time that this psalm was being written, there's an Arab commu- community known as the Nabataeans. And uh, what this tribe was known was how to collect and move and divert the water in the desert. If you've ever been through a desert, you'll notice that there are riverbeds there. And then you get to question, why is there a riverbed? Because when the rains come, like unlike we heard just 
earlier, you know, so loud that it drowned out a little bit of the music that was playing as the children were coming down. Um, that when it comes, it comes in torrents, and it can be wild and dangerous. People reflected that water is the same water, the life-giving water of God that's wild and dangerous. And yet, when tapped into that water, can be a powerful source for life. Hear it now? Yeah. Yeah. And so if they could harness those water courses, and they could flow, and they can rejoice... So they were praying for God to fill it and fill them just like the watercourses, that they might be filled with this spirit so great that it leads them from point A to B. Because in between, in between comes verse 5. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Yeah. May those who sow in tears. Yeah. Yeah. Tears are often, if we're truthful about it, the only way that we can move to that time of celebration. We have to acknowledge what are our hurts during this time as well. Um, uh, One of the commentators said this that I was reading. She said, there's no jingle bell joy that can be bought with a credit card. Only with the honesty of where we are now and where is God in the midst of this. Because the truth is, the seeds that have been sown of the gospel throughout our lives have been sown in a variety of places and times. Just like the parable, there are moments in which we know that God's word is landing on rocky soil. There's moments that we are amidst the thorns and we can't see the flowers blooming because the thorns are overwhelming. And yet, when it finally comes that the seed is sown in the good ground, Amazing things happen. Um, For the Salvation Army, William Booth once told this story. He led it for years. Uh, It was his vision that if he could reach out to the least of these, my brethren, as Jesus called us to do, that revival would happen in the land. And uh, there's a story that he told of two officers that he had sent off. And he, he warned them beforehand this was going to be a hard challenge. Uh, a very difficult challenge. Within two years, they said, look, we've been spat upon, we've been beaten up, we've been cast out of town. Uh, God is not in this place, and we need to be done with it. Um, you know, and we're not sure if you know, we can hold on another day. And William Booth replied with only two words to a telegram to them. Try tears. And as they bent down after reading that in prayer and supplication and in tears to cry out, uh, the next day, one by one, as they enjoyed and led others to share in what was going on there, from loss of jobs, food, opportunity, relationships, one by one started gathering more and more and more And suddenly, within a matter of time, revival began to happen in the land. A movement in which suddenly tears became laughter and it filled their mouths. Not unlike a a story I heard uh, not too long ago, a man by the name of George. George had been struggling with um, taking care 
uh, of his mother, and his, his brothers were, were there physically, but he was off uh, uh, with job away, and, but financially supporting everyone in the family, um, mother, father, brothers, and trying to do his best, and he was just, he had reached his limit. Uh, so a friend invited him to a silent retreat that, um, that he might be in renewal. Unfortunately, during the time of the silent retreat, he heard news that his mother had passed. So he told his brothers to take care of everything, and, and he would uh, arrange to leave. So he left during the silent retreat, and instead of encountering a moment of time to honor his mother, he was accosted by his brothers of how much that he wasn't there, wasn't good enough, wasn't able, um, just a lot of guilt, shame, baggage. And after the service, he immediately left for the retreat to at least finish it out. And for the first few days, he said, I wanted to scream, I wanted to shout, I wanted to cry out. By the third day, he realized the gift of being in silence, of being able to sit with those emotions, to sort them out, to pick them through one by one, and realizing that his brother's, you know, his brother's anger and his shame that they threw upon him was just misplaced grief. On the final day in which they were gathered together, because uh, for those who've never been on a silent retreat, most of the time you gather in the morning and there's a teacher there. And, and, they, and they had a priest who was from France and kind of stumbled through the teaching with him because his English was limited. But on the final day, uh, they broke the silence and had a chance for everyone to speak. And, and as they're talking, one of the ladies spoke up and says, hey, hey George, I noticed that you were missing. Uh, where'd you go? What happened? He goes, well, my, my mother passed. And... Uh, and I went to the service and, and uh, came back, and uh, the priest, kind of hearing the words, turned to him and put his arm gently on him and leaned close to him and said, my congratulations. Suddenly there was a silence across the whole room. Everyone turned to him in shocked horror. And in the back of George's mind, he, he immediately, because he's, uh, he's dealt with several people learning English as a new language, and said, most likely he was trying to say my condolences. <laughs> but it came out as my congratulations. And in the mixture of that, not sure how to receive or what to do, tears finally began to stream down George's face. And after the third or fourth or maybe even the tenth or twelfth, he's not sure, he began to laugh. Because of, you know, everyone else's look around the room is still this shocked horror. What do you mean? Congratulations. And, and as he laughed, and then the priest laughed, and then the other person laughed, and the other person laughed, and suddenly people are laughing so hard, they're not able to sit even as they're holding themselves and laughing and laughing and laughing. Suddenly the tears moved, and we know throughout the Bible how often tears have been used. Joseph wept. Hannah wept. David wept. Jeremiah, they said, his head was like a fountain. He wept so much. Throughout the New Testament, Peter wept. Jesus wept. John wept. Mary wept. Powerful images, so much so that when Jesus finally went to the cross, he took that suffering and almost uh, said, hold on. For on the third day, he laughed in the midst of it all. The final verse is this, those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves.
So as we look back and see all the ways that God has been with us, is with us, and carries us forth, even even the midst of heartache or tragedy, to something more, to something, a possibility that we may dream and share with that with others. I'd like you to hear this psalm in a new way. Um, in my study, I found out that there's a, there's a new movement, um, a Jesuit priest by the name of Dahud. Um, is a studier of ancient Hebrew languages. And it's his study of, of a very ancient Hebrew language that he believes most people have translated this differently. They've, they've translated this in the past tense. And he says this psalm is meant to be sung in the present tense. So here, if you will, this psalm in a new way. Uh, so it begins this way. The Lord restores Excuse me, the Lord has restored the fortunes of Zion, and we have become like those who dream. For our mouths were filled with laughter, and our tongues are shouting with joy. Because it is said among the nations, the Lord is doing great things for them. The Lord is doing these great things so that we might rejoice. Yahweh restores our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. For those who have sown in tears have wept with chouse of joy. Those who have gone out weeping are now bearing the seed for sowing and have come home to us with shouts of joy carrying their sheaves. And so uh, our challenge this week is take our joy in the tackiness of this season and sow it. Sow it so much that people see it. Our hands, our mouth, our feet, our words, our deed. In this, our very life, both now and always. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Uh, Father of ever-flowing mountains, Father of songs of joy and laughter and mirth, songs of, of dance, call us, O Lord, that we may rejoice that we may rejoice in the things that you have done for us, that we may rejoice in the things that you're doing for us right here, right now, and recognize that you are restoring us to a greater glory than we have ever known. We take a moment, Lord, to to be thankful for those that have been restored to the fullness of glory with you. And know that they shout for joy with us here in this moment as well. And so, may your spirit move us and restore us, that we may shout with joys, both now and always. Amen.
So receive this benediction that we may go and tell it. So uh, may the grace of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit surround us and for us so that we may tell the story of Jesus both now and always. Amen.